While they're leaving, let me remind you that we're in a series right now that we're calling Words Matter. And, and we're taking a look at some really key words in the scripture, and we're looking at them in the, in the context that there's so many words that, that we take uh, for granted. There's so many words in the scripture that over time, the meaning changes, over, over time, uh, it gets distorted, or it gets watered down, it gets used differently, and we forget how significant these words are. And the words that we're in it talking about over the next few weeks are from a passage in Galatians called The Fruit of the Spirit. It's Galatians 5, begins in verse 22, and it, it says that the fruit of the Spirit is, and it lists nine fruit, nine things, nine parts of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, one of the things we talked about is that when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the, the Scripture doesn't say fruits of the Spirit, that they're all individual things, but the Scripture tells us that they're all part of a whole. When Christ lives in us and He transforms us, there is a transformation that happens. It's a fruit that grows in us uh, through His Spirit that changes who we are, it changes how we think, changes how we live, and, and it's called the fruit of the Spirit. Some translators will say it's the harvest of the Spirit, it's what happens in our lives when Christ lives in us. And we want to take a closer look at these things because we think that sometimes these words have gotten lost in translation. For example, the word we're going to talk about this morning is peace. And when we think about peace, most people think about peace as the absence of war, right? You've got war, the opposite of that is peace. But that's not how the Bible defines peace. In fact, the, the New Testament talks about peace as, as uh, a calmness, as a wholeness, uh, as um, a state of, of contentment. And the Old Testament talks about peace and uses the word shalom. And shalom carries the connotation of wholeness, of completeness. And so we get this idea that that. that that shalom was actually a greeting to Hebrew people. They would say shalom, and in saying that, they were saying peace to you, wholeness, completeness to you, wellness to you. And so we want to talk about this idea of peace this, this morning, and we want to talk about what it really means. For example, one of the great definitions of peace comes in 1 Corinthians 14, 33. It says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So in that verse, the opposite of confusion is peace. Uh, you know, we talk about this, sometimes I'll have people come into my office or, or I'll talk to folks and they'll be sharing with me all the things that have happened in their lives and all the events and, and maybe it's a crisis or something that's, that's gone on in their, their life. And, and one of the things we'll talk about is that, you know, the Lord's not surprised by any of this. He's not confused by, by anything that's going on in your life. That he understands all of this. He's not a God of confusion, but he's a God of peace. And so even in our confusion, sometimes God chooses to bring peace to us. Well, I found a really interesting little story out of a periodical that I'm sure you all read regularly called The Onion. And it's a, fi it's, it's a fictional story about a young man. Let me read the story to you. It says that uh, Marshall Platt, 34, came tantalizingly close to kicking back and having a good time while attending a friend's barbecue last night before remembering each and every one of his professional and personal obligations, backyard sources confirmed. 
While he chatted with friends over a relaxed outdoor meal, Platt was reportedly seconds away from letting go and enjoying himself when he was suddenly crushed by the full weight of work emails that still needed to be dealt with. An upcoming wedding that he had yet to buy airfare for because of an unresolved issue with his Southwest Rapids Rewards account and phone calls that needed to be returned. Platt, who reportedly sunk into a distracted haze after coming to the razor's edge of experiencing genuine joy, fully intended to go through the motions of talking with friends and appearing to have a good time, all the while he mentally shopped for a birthday present for his mother and made a silent note to call his bank about a mysterious recurring $19 a month fee that he had recently discovered on his credit card statement. Everything's fine, said the tense, mentally absent man who, whose girlfriend asked him what was wrong after his near-giddy buzz vanished and he remembered that he hadn't called his aunt yet to check up on her after her surgery. I'm having fun. According to sources, Platt tried to put his responsibility-laden thoughts out of his mind and loosen up, but suddenly remembered a magazine subscription that needed to be renewed by Friday, a medical bill he thought might now be overdue, and the fact that he needed to do laundry by tonight or he would run out of clean socks and underwear. And that was all before a crisis hit, right? That's not even taking into account when really hard things happen. But we live in this crazy, hectic busy world. It's a frenetic world. We're constantly caught up in the to-do list that keeps growing and never seems to have an end. And, and we find ourselves living anxiously and we, we find uh, ourselves living stressfully. And then we come to a passage uh, and we come to a passage about peace and we're not even sure what to do with that. We're not even sure what that would feel like if we experienced it. So this morning we want to talk about peace. And, and I want to talk to you about it this way. I'd like to share with you, uh, because we know that God offers peace. We know that he offers peace as a fruit of the Spirit. But how do we get a hold of those? How do we appropriate that peace in our own lives? How do we experience that peace in our lives? And so I want to talk to you this morning about the disciplines of peace how we appropriate peace in our lives. What are the disciplines of peace? I, I love this word discipline because um, my, my favorite definition uh, of, uh, of discipline is um, intentional suffering. If you want to run a marathon, you, you have to suffer a little bit to get trained for it, right? To get in shape. So you, you're, gonna, you're gonna go through, you're gonna live with shin splints. You're gonna, your knees are gonna ache. You're gonna get winded. You're gonna be fatigued. You're not gonna wanna get up in the morning when it's time to run. And you push yourself through all of those things so that at the end, you're prepared, that you're trained uh, to run a marathon. And, and, and so sometimes we do things that we don't feel like doing. We do things that sometimes that don't seem to make sense, but we do them for a reason and we do them for a goal, we do them for an outcome that we really want to experience in our lives. And, and so we're gonna talk about the disciplines of peace this morning. And there are four disciplines of peace that, that I want you to consider. I want you to look at this morning. The, they're be grateful, be prayerful, be thoughtful, and be contentful. I, I so much wanted them all to be full and I just couldn't figure out how to do it with content. So be grateful, be prayerful, be thoughtful, and then be content, all right? Those are the four things that we're gonna look at. We're gonna do that out of Philippians, the fourth chapter, starting in uh, verse four. Here's the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi, a church that's in, in persecution. 
And here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let me just stop. Rejoice in the Lord. That's how he starts this. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. He repeats it for emphasis, and what he doesn't say is rejoice in the Lord in spite of the bad things going on in your life. He doesn't say rejoice in the, the Lord and just be happy and ignore all of the hard things that are going on in your life. Uh, He doesn't say rejoice and you'll figure everything out, but what he says is rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice because of who we are in Christ. Rejoice because of what Christ has done for us. It's through him, it's because of him that we rejoice. It's not just sort of a uh, talking ourselves into something. Uh, it's not just something that we do or that we talk about, but we, he is saying, I want you to rejoice in the Lord because you know who you are. I want you to rejoice in the Lord, as this song said, because I am a child of God, because I belong to him, and because I'm a child of God, and because we talked about last week that I'm, I'm a resurrection person, I know the resurrection is true, so I know the rest of it is true, and I can rejoice because I rejoice in Christ because of who he is and what he's done in my life. And so the very first thing that he tells us to do is to rejoice in Christ. Again, I say rejoice. And then he says something interesting. He said, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. This idea of reasonableness is a, is a great New Testament word that carries a couple of connotations uh, for us. The, the first connotation of reasonableness is just a person who uses good judgment. A person who uses good judgment. And the idea is that we're reminded of who we are in Christ. And so we live out of that. We live with that kind of good judgment. And the second uh, meaning of this word is, uh, refers to a person who is content, who is satisfied regardless of whether or not they get their due. That they're not somebody that's always chasing what they think they deserve or chasing what they think they're due, but they're someone who's satisfied at where they are. They're satisfied without the idea that they always have to get their due. And here's the, see, here's the reason for that, is that they know that because of Jesus, they've already gotten more than their due. They have life in him. They have forgiveness in him. They've been given everything in him. And so they don't have to chase something else, but they can be satisfied even when they don't get their due. Let your reasonableness. So he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, your good judgment, being satisfied, not, only get, not always getting your due, be known to everyone. Live that way. And then he says, because the Lord is near, because the Lord is at hand. He is close to us. He dwells in us. He lives in us. So he allows us to live that way. Then he, he goes on to say, and one of my favorite verses in the Bible, in verse six, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Starts that way. And if we just stop there, it's one of those great lines that, that says, you know, do not be anxious about anything. That's sort of like saying, don't think of a pink elephant, right? As soon as I say that, you think of a pink elephant, you can't help yourself. Uh, and as soon as I say, don't be anxious for anything, we immediately get anxious because we start to process all of those things that aren't done or all of those needs in our lives or all the weaknesses in our lives and all of those things. And, and so if we left it there, it would probably create more anxiousness for us, more stress for us. But here's what he says. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but with everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So here's what he says. 
Take your anxiousness and bundle it all up and give it to the Lord. Take all of those anxious thoughts. Write them down if you need to, but give them to the Lord. He says, by prayer, by talking to the Lord, and by supplication, he says for emphasis, supplication is a, is a, a New Testament word that talks about when we express our needs to the Lord with urgency. Lord, please hear this. Here's my anxiousness. Here, here's my fear. Here's the things that are going on in my life. I want to give those things to you, and I want to thank you for how you meet my needs. I want to thank you for how you've been faithfulness, faithful to me, because he always says it this way, that by prayer uh, and supplication with thankfulness, that we're called to be grateful people. First and foremost, we're called to be grateful people. Rejoice in the Lord always. To ask him with thanksgiving. And then secondly, we're to be prayerful people, to take those anxious thoughts, to take those fears and give them to the Lord. So be grateful and be prayerful people. And here's what he says. The result and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He says that, that, that what happens out of that is that the peace that the Lord gives, his peace that he offers us, will, that surpasses understanding. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that we take all of our anxiousness, all of our fear, and his peace is so powerful, his peace is so great, that, that it overwhelms that anxiousness. It overwhelms that fear. He, he's not saying we ignore our anxiousness, or we ignore our fear. He's not saying that it doesn't matter, but what he is saying is that his peace will overwhelm that. His peace will surpass anything else uh, in our lives. It will surpass our fears it will surpass our anxiousness, all of those things. That's a promise that he gives us as a result of being grateful people and as a result of being prayerful people, we experience his peace. There's a second way that we experience his peace that he talks about in the next few verses, starting in verse eight. But let me just say this too, one last thing about those verses. He says that his peace will guard guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And this word guard, I've seen it also translated garrison. It's a military word. So picture this, that he sends an army to guard your heart. He sends, he sends a heavenly army he, to guard your heart. To that peace that, that nothing can penetrate, that peace that he offers us, he'll protect our heart through it. My, my father used to say that he had, he had two angels that always protected his heart and guarded his heart. And he would <clears throat> jokingly so he'd say, use uh, <clears throat> Psalm 23, where at the end it says, and surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And he said, I have two angels that f- follow me around all the time, goodness and mercy, and they're gonna guard my heart all the time. Well, I, I'm <clears throat> not quite sure. He's in heaven, so he knows better than I do. But, but what I do know is that he's promised us to to garrison our hearts, to send an army to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, Read anything that Paul says, and you'll always notice that it's all about being in Christ, in Jesus. We have peace because of who Jesus is. He guards our hearts and our minds in Jesus. Well, now let's go on to verse eight. He says this, finally, brothers, and sisters, whatever is true, 
whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellent, if, uh, excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Let me just stop there for a second. He gives us a whole list of things. The third thing that we were talking about, the third discipline is to be thoughtful. And so he says, I'm going to give you a list of things that I want you to think about. Now, the, the Paul uses a really interesting word for think here. It's an old Greek word that, that the Greek philosophers used to use, and it means to think deeply, to dig deep in this whole idea, to think deeply about what it means uh, to, to live honorably, uh, to think deeply about what it means for whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. This idea of whatever is true, he says, I want you to think about this, that when we find times of anxiousness in our lives, we find times of fear in our lives, go back to what you know is true. Go back to the truth of who Jesus is, of the difference that he's made in in your life, that you believe in the resurrection, you believe that Christ died for your sins, you believe that he rose again, you believe that you have life through him and in him. So remind yourself, think deeply about what is true in your life and then think deeply about what is honorable. An, uh, an honorable person is someone who lives out the truth in their lives. That I know that who I am in Christ, I know the truth, now I wanna live that out in my life. Uh, and, and then he says, whatever is just, whatever is pure. Uh, and then he says, whatever is lovely. And lovely is this idea of living a winsome life. It's, it, it's allowing people to see your life, but to see Christ in you and the truth of who he is and the peace that he brings and allow them to see how beautiful Christ is and how beautiful it is when we follow Christ. And, and so it's living that kind of life. So whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's excellence, anything worthy of praise, dig deep into those things. You know, because we are what we think, right? There's an old proverb that says, as a man thinketh, so is he. That we are what we think about. Ask yourself, what do I think of? What's the last thing I think about before I close my eyes at night? What's the first thing that I think about when I wake up in the morning that, that what we think about tells us a lot about who we are, about how we uh, think of ourselves, uh, about what we are worried about, about the state of our heart. So a person, we are what we think about. And so he's saying, I want you to think well. I want you to think deeply about these things. It really matters how we think. So drill down into the things that really matter. Discipline yourself to think about what is true and honorable and just and worthy about who Christ is, about how he would have us to live. And then Paul goes on to tell a little bit more of his story. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. And not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. So here's what Paul is saying. Because we talked about be grateful and we've uh, talked about being prayerful right? And, and now uh, we talk about what it means to be content, what it means to live con- in contentment. And the circumstances are fascinating because Paul is writing this letter while he is a prisoner. 
chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. He doesn't know if, if, an, if any, at any time uh, he's going to be tortured, he's going to be beaten, he doesn't know if he's going to be executed, that he is living with that over his head. Uh, that's the state of his life. And yet, in the middle of that, Paul can say, I've learned what it means to live in contentment. I've learned what it means to, to be content. In spite of my circumstances, in spite of the, all the things going on in my life, I can write you this. I can tell you to rejoice. I can tell you the, these things aren't theory for Paul. This just aren't wonderful platitudes. But Paul is saying, I'm living this out as we speak. I'm living this out as we write. I want you to know how I'm living my life. I am rejoicing in Christ, not in my circumstances, not in the fact that I'm chained to a guard, not in the fact that I may be uh, executed at any time, but because of who Jesus is in my life, because of digging deep into what it means to be a follower of him, I can write these things. I've learned what it means to be content. I know, in verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I have lived in the lowest spot. I mean, how much lower can I get? I'm chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. I don't know if I'm gonna live or die but I've also been free and I've also been able to go wherever I wanted and I grew up in relatively in relative wealth and I've known poverty and I have known wealth and I have known hunger and I have known what it means to be full and in all of those things, whether I'm hungry or full, whether I'm poor or wealthy, whether I'm free or in chains, I have learned to be content and now Paul says, I'm gonna tell you the secret. There's a secret to this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the secret. It's not a secret because uh, we're not supposed to know. It's a secret because we forget so often. It's a secret because we haven't thought deeply about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to, uh, to live with what's true and what's right and what's honorable. It's, it's, it's a secret because so often we let this stuff just go by us. We've read it so many times or we've, or we've changed the word. You know, when I, I can remember in college, I went to a sports camp one time and, and one of the speakers said something about, you know, listen, I want you to remember Philippians 4.13 and I want you to say it just before you knock somebody's head off. And I thought, I don't know if that's really what Paul was talking about in that verse. I'm not really sure. What I do know for sure that Paul is talking about is he, whether I'm in prison or I'm free. The secret is I can do it all through Christ who strengthens me. Whether I'm starving to death or I've just had a great meal, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whether I live or whether I die, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's his life. That's where his peace came from. The peace that, that Christ offers, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The disciplines of peace. A discipline is not something that we simply do when we feel like it. It's something that we do because we know that the result of that is gonna be so right and so rich uh, in our lives uh, and so significant. We do it because we know the benefits. We know that it's right and we learn to rejoice. We learn to be prayerful. We learn to think well and deeply and we learn to practice contentment because we know that through Christ, in Christ, it brings peace 
into our lives. And we desperately need peace, don't we? We desperately need to experience the peace that Christ offers. We're going to close this morning with a song, but it's a, a, there's a story behind this song about a man named uh, Horatio Spafford. Some of you have probably heard of Horatio Spafford. In 1871, Horatio Spafford was a very wealthy banker in Chicago, and, and it was the Chicago fire, and he, his home burned down and everything in his house. And, and then two years later, uh, Horatio Spafford put his wife Anna and their four daughters on a, a ship uh, to, on then there's a picture of Anna uh, on their w- way to France. And as they were out in the middle of the ocean on their way to France, uh, a British steamer came and crashed into their ship, uh, causing it to sink. And they were all lost in the water, and only Anna, the mom, survived. She's rescued, she's taken to England, she sends a telegram to her husband Horatio. And it said simply this, saved alone. Horatio Spafford gets on the next ocean liner that he can find and he heads to England to get his wife. And he, as he's out in the ocean, the ship's captain came and, and said, this is the place where the accident happened. This is the place in the ocean where the two ships crashed and so many people were lost and among them the four Spafford daughters. Uh, one, a, an infant, And at that point, uh, Horatio Spafford looks out over the ocean, and in that moment of grief and intense tragedy, he writes the song, It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Because of who he is in Christ, because of what Christ has done in the middle of the worst moments of his life, he can say, it's well with my soul. The peace of Christ that surpasses understanding overwhelmed Horatio Spafford that day. And he wrote this song, it is well with my soul. Uh, When I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna, uh, Drew and Bob are gonna come up and sing the song, lead the song for us. And I, I want you to look carefully at the lyrics. I want you to consider Uh, this song, sing along with them, simply follow the lyrics, but look at the words and what it means when a life that's been broken apart is overwhelmed by the peace of Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, thank you that you have given us disciplines for peace that you've called us, Lord, to be people who are grateful and prayerful and thoughtful and content. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen us. I ask that you'd give us the discipline, the strength to do what we so desperately need to do to receive your peace, to experience your peace in our lives. Lord, we will be careful to give you the honor and uh, the glory for all of this. In, In Jesus' name, amen.